0: to American Education FM everybody I'm dr. Sean Brooks okay welcome back everybody I've got a big episode here lots to get to um, lots of references to share books things of that nature lots of lots of different things lots of homework projects if if you like that kind of stuff and, and you love learning lots of different things to touch on here first of all <clears throat> um, just to revisit a particular issue. Again, just a couple of geopolitical things right here at the top before I get into some education-related stuff, and then just a couple of jab-related things. I want to end with an article. And then, an, again, a number of things in between here. Plenty of education things to get to also. Not to mention, it's one of my favorite times of the year, ladies and gentlemen. It is, uh, it is the, the month before the AERA conference. And, as you know, about three times a year, I love to read the titles. (laughs) I can't keep a smile off my face. I like to read the titles from the American Education Research Association's uh, latest publication or upcoming publication. Because, uh, yeah, the articles are crazy. And the kinds of articles that people are publishing are crazy. And they are remaining crazy, basically, and I'm going to read those titles and read those abstracts and uh, get your blood pressure up, because the only question you have to ask yourself, among others, I'm sure, is, uh, what does any of this have to do with education? And it's a rhetorical question, because you know the answer is nothing. So, yeah, here we go, though. First of all, Tedros Adnan from the World Health Organization came out last week, and I meant to play the audio clip, my apologies for skipping over it, but in about a minute here, minute and a half, he openly says that the World Health Treaty or the pandemic treaty quote unquote that they of course have created, and numerous nations have agreed to. what he says in this clip is is he basically says that the World Health Organization can't impose the World Health Treaty on countries because that's not legal, and it's not constitutionally sound. However, he then says, but what nations can do is agree to it. See, that's the the old switcheroo, the old twisting, uh, you know, the turning the tables, so to speak. He knows what he's saying. He knows that the World Health Organization can't make people do it per se, but they're all globalists and they're all interested in doing the same thing. This I mean we know this. So it doesn't have to do with the World Health Organization imposing anything on us. It's the fact that Joe Biden again whether he's controlled by white hats or not uh certainly the CDC they're sort of their own entity on an island by themselves along with every brainwashed local doctor and hospital administration that you have in your town they are all going to do what the World Health Organization suggests, no matter what. Unless, of course, they separate from themselves and they realize that they just followed the World Health Organization right down into a giant trap over the last three years. So why would they do it again? Again, this is a massive problem, but I'm going to let him Speak for himself, and uh, here is that audio in three, two, one.
1: The international health regulations do not give WHO power to dictate health policy to any country. Neither will this accord give WHO power to dictate policy to any country. This accord or agreement will be an agreement by countries. WHO's role would be to help implement the accord that countries agree. An accord that captures all the challenges we have faced during this pandemic is essential for making sure that the world does not repeat the mistakes that were made in this pandemic. If we repeat the same mistakes, I don't think we will forgive ourselves And our children and grandchildren will not forgive us. We have a duty to ourselves to end this pandemic as soon as possible. We have a duty to those we have lost to find out how it started. And we have a duty to those who will follow us to make the world safer.
0: Okay, first of all, if you were unaware, Ted Rose is an actual terrorist. He's like a real, actual terrorist. Used to be, but now he wears a suit. He's the head of this group, he's not a real medical doctor. He's an actual terrorist. Uh Amazing Polly has gone down numerous rabbit holes regarding him and his background. I highly recommend going over to her BitChute channel or Rumble channel and checking all that out. It's a hundred percent legit. Okay. You heard him say that it's not about the WHO showing up into your town and saying, you have to do what we want you to do. He knows, as they all do, that the gullible are just going to accept it and that governments are just going to accept this. That's what he's saying. He says, if governments agree to us and agree to this, then we can do what we'd like And we want to make sure and fix the mistakes, quote unquote, of the past. Now, we know what mistakes those are. The mistakes were that they did not know how to fight people like us. They didn't know how to get rid of us. The non-vaxxers, the people who knew this was a bioweapon, the fact that we really controlled much of the pushback, well, we were the pushback, but we controlled the opposition completely. They, they want us out of the way. That's essentially what he's saying. So when he says, again, we don't want to repeat the mistakes of the past, that's exactly what he's talking about. When he's referencing children and grandchildren, well, you know, he knows what the jabs are doing. He knows that the likelihood of people having children and grandchildren is, uh, is slim and none and slim left town. So that's not likely to occur. But I just wanted to play that because, again, I think they're going to continue to go through with it. They're ratifying it, quote unquote, that's still going to roll out over the course of the next couple of months. I believe May was kind of the deadline when they were going to make some final decision about it. Again, you'd better believe that numerous countries are just going to blindly agree to this yet again. In fact, they're not even blindly doing it. They know exactly what they're doing. They want the message to be the same across the board for everybody, and they want to increase any punishment or ostracizing of people like us who know exactly what's going on. If they thought that what happened the last time was bad, I mean, I I don't think uh, they have any clue as to what's likely to occur if they were to pull this again they they again fake some pandemic again and then the response is is way worse than what they could possibly imagine from the public again the last time around you had copious amounts worldwide of nurses leaving the profession permanently permanently these hospitals again were screaming at the top of their lungs that they needed help, that they needed employees. Remember they were paying all those nurses all that extra money because all the other nurses were gone? It wasn't even just overtime pay they were giving them. They were just increasing their salaries dramatically, making $300 plus per hour. It's ridiculous. Of course, they're all jabbed, and they're going to need that money for their medical bills and God knows what else right up until the day that they die. But the point is, is that if they actually make this move again, it will crush the medical system completely. It's already destroyed. I mean they've lost all credibility, but it wouldn't get better with time. I assure you of that. Okay. Uh let me see here. The next thing. You may have noticed this, and this has to do directly with this show. In fact, I probably should have brought this up at the beginning. But I don't know if it's censorship or if it's just um if it's a a digital queue getting in line issue. But when I upload the episode, normally it's supposed to go out on all of the pod podcasting streams at 6 in the morning, Eastern Standard Time, on Monday, Wednesday, Friday. That's how I do this. There are some episodes, however, like the last one, where it won't hit those streams until later in the afternoon, on a Monday, on a Wednesday, or on a Friday. So, my apologies for that. I just wanted to let you know that that has nothing to do with me. I don't know if it has to do with the timing that I upload it, or if it is an actual censorship thing. I'm not entirely sure. It could be one or the other. It could be both. Uh, But either way, if you wake up at six in the morning or you listen to this show early in the morning, first of all, thank you. Second of all, uh, if it's not on those you know like apple itunes for example or spotify if it's not on those first it's always on podbean because that's the that's basically the engine that i put it in first and then podbean shoots it out everywhere so if you don't have podbean downloaded i highly recommend downloading it again sometimes i'll put it up on rumble and bitshoot the night before uh, so you can even listen to it then if you want, but it's completely your call. But I fully understand that some of the podcasting streams, in particular like iHeartRadio and again, Apple Podcasts and Spotify, sometimes they don't uh they don't air it on time. They take their time with it for one reason or another, so there you go. You're not going insane, basically. It it is uh it's a real thing. I just don't know what, what causes it or, or who's behind it or what's going on, but I assure you it's not, uh, it's not on my end. It's nothing I'm doing. Okay. So there's that. Next thing. I don't know if anybody listens to or, or follows S G Anon, the letters S G and then Anon. They have a, uh, a rumble channel. And they say some interesting things and they dive down certain rabbit holes and they bring certain things to, to the forefront that people should focus on. Again, sounds like a, a bright, you know, with it human being. Um, but the last episode I, I did watch and I thought it was interesting because it was almost as if he either lives in Ohio or he uh, was listening to my, my show because what he brings up is exactly what I've brought up on this show regarding the business of emailing the people around you, county commissioners, uh, school board members, city councils, mayor's offices, et cetera, et cetera, regarding everything that's going on in the world right now, because these people do not know. And he specifically singles out Ohio, I might add, which is, again, interesting. If he listens to the show, great. Uh, You know, if he doesn't, that's fine. But he was basically reiterating what I've brought up here. And again, I recommend getting on my website and checking out that email template if you're interested in emailing your mayor's office and and all these other councils that exist. And again, in that particular episode, in, in his latest episode, where he's, I think it's called like SG Statement or something like that. But he goes through all the different people at the county level that you should be communicating with and, and emailing. At the very least, just email them and email them, uh, you know, all of this factual information, some, some references, video clips, you know, with a brief paragraph to two to three paragraph introduction that they need to be paying attention to this because this is what's really going on. It, it's difficult for us to grasp, although probably not us, but certainly other people. That these individuals and these elected officials and these government workers, many of them are dead asleep, they have no idea what's going on. it's not all of them, but it's it's many of them. Uh, you may even recall again Vanessa Hurst Vanessa Hurst works in her clerk her, her county clerk office, if I'm not mistaken, and back during the previous election, she said again regarding all of the election fraud and the machines breaking down and all of that she texted me and she said we're not talking just about machines breaking she said this is a competence problem this has to do with people who hold these jobs who have no idea what they're doing she goes that's that's the issue that she was seeing that's a that's a big problem so We have to assume and start at the starting place that these people are dead asleep. They're nine to fivers, they're elected officials, they're they're paper pushers, they're stamping papers. This is what they do. They're not paying attention to the scheme and the actual illegal conspiracy that is taking place to again implement 5G, certainly the jabs and the mask wearing. They have no idea because they probably as again elected officials they probably went along with all of the jabs all of the mask wearing and again as i'm talking to you it's now been one full week since i sent my email to the county commissioners office and at least god eight people who work within the, within that office who were at the top including again their clerk and a few other people but no email back yet not a single question back like hey you know We'd like to meet with you because, I, I, again, I know that county commissioners have meetings like school boards have meetings. I mean, the public can show up and the public can tell them what's going on and the public can address them. The problem is those are equally as useless as, as speaking at a school board meeting in many cases because there's no back and forth. The county clerks and, and the commissioners there are not going to be asking you questions about the thing that you're presenting on. You speak, they say thank you for your time, you go sit down, and then you know, and then they're on to the next goon who's just talking about God knows what. We need more trash cans on this intersection. I mean, it's like, wait a minute. You have 5G towers being erected everywhere that are gonna cook people. I think that uh I think that trumps the importance of an extra trash can at an intersection. But my point is is that SG Anon ran through it, it was interesting again i'm I'm not one to uh put all my chips into into every single thing that somebody else says regarding particular issues, but it was a nice breakdown because again, they go through all the different positions and the people that you should communicate with and email et cetera et cetera and uh and they were right and i yeah it was it was informative, so I'll, I'll certainly give them that with that said on the five g trail very quickly. Uh, Stu Peters had a guest on his show the other night, a female scientist, I, I believe she's a PhD at the very least, but she was discussing 5G specifically also, what 5G does. It was very well done. I threw, I threw the audio clip, or the video clip rather, up on my Gab page. You're welcome to go over there and check it out. Of course, you can get on Stu Peters' Rumble, Rumble channel and, and you'll see it. Um, I highly recommend watching it. It's about 15 minutes long and he's all over the 5G thing right now too which is interesting and i'm i'm glad that he is so there's that uh okay here's the next thing i have a 5 minute audio clip from east palestine and this was when let's see it's one of the fox and friends guys on the weekend i uh his name has slipped my mind but he he was filling in for tucker i think at the beginning of this month and he's talking with a guy who again is not a part of any government organization, but he was there testing the water and he was even testing the uh, furnace filters. He said when you test, and you'll hear him say it, but testing a furnace filter is about as close as you're going to get to testing a human lung and what's going on inside of a human lung. So I want to play that audio clip again. it's, It's awful. And I fully understand that a lot of people, again, are distracted with Trump potentially getting arrested sometime this week, next week, or some other time. Again, I I think all of that ramped up on purpose, and I think that that worked to galvanize more people. But as all of that's happening, you know, we we can walk and chew gum at the same time, and there's a thousand other things happening. So let's not forget about what's going on in East Palestine. I I think that uh, it's still beyond relevant. So anyway, give that audio a listen right now. Here we go.
2: He's the chief sustainability officer of eco integrated technologies. His results were accepted by the EPA and Scott Smith joins us now from East Palestine. Scott, uh, great to have you with us. As we mentioned, you were hired independently by some residents there in Ohio to see what's in their water, see what's in their soil, see what's in their air. What did you find? Well, first of all, thanks
3: for having me, Uh, Will. It's great to be here. And we found dioxins. But before that, I want to tell you something. 17 years ago, my business and 100 employees' jobs were wiped out in oil and chemical contaminated waters. That's when I realized that water testing and remediation were seriously flawed. And ever since this experience, I go into communities affected by water contamination and I help people get the truth so they don't have to go through what I went through. And here's the main lesson. You can't find what you don't look for. We started looking for dioxins last week in February. Well, we got initial results back. We got the water results back. We don't even have the soil and air. And we found dioxins. And dioxins essentially are the fentanyl of chemicals. And why? Because they're measured in parts per quadrillion. As much as I've never heard of parts per quadrillion, and I've been doing this for a long time, just to put it in perspective, lead, metals, other chemicals are measured in parts per billion or parts per million. One part per quadrillion is equivalent if you have 20 trillion pennies to
2: one penny. That's how sensitive it is. And and what what is the health risk of dioxins?
3: Uh, Well, it's... Related to Agent Orange, and if you can look it up, I'm not a toxicologist. I've got a lot of experts. We have a great team. Cancer, uh, it's very dangerous to pregnant women, and a whole host of other issues. And I can tell you what separates this from other experiences I've been to, Mm -hmm. people are getting sicker by the day. Children are Spitting up, coughing up blood. I saw pictures today when I was with residents.
2: So, Scott, you mentioned you can't find what you don't look for. You looked for dioxins. You've been doing this, as you mentioned, I think you said some 60-odd incidences you have investigated independently since the one that you lived through yourself. Um, and you, I know you've said this, Scott. That has, in turn, given you the playbook for how these things are normally handled by the government, the EPA, by private corporations that do the testing. What is the playbook? Yeah, The playbook is,
3: let there be no doubt about it, the public relations people are calling all the shots. And I can tell you right now, the playbook is going to be dioxins are ubiquitous in the environment. And I don't even need to get the rest of the results because I can tell you right now, children spitting up blood, People with headaches, getting sicker, that was not ubiquitous in health symptoms in this environment. The good news is we're going to find the truth and we're going to find out what people have been exposed to and they'll be able to go to the doctors and get help and this will be able to be cleaned up. Properly.
2: Oh, that's where I want to finally arrive at in our our conversation, Scott. Um, I know you tested uh, furnace filters because it's the greatest indication of what's in the air and what people have actually inhaled. I know you're going to look at water and soil as well. And I appreciate you're not a toxicologist. I appreciate the limits of your own expertise, but having done this 60 times to your point, what is your outlook for East Palestine, Ohio? Is it that the dioxins can be removed and people can again live in this village? Or what is the prescription for the cure here in this village and for these people? Uh, well, there's a great expert
3: team. It's, you got to solve the problem. Like Einstein said, you got to admit there's a problem, mm-hmm. and then we can solve it. We need to admit there's a problem here and work together. I also want to say furnace filters. If you want to know what, what people were breathing in their lungs, the furnace filter is the closest thing to opening up someone's lung. And I want to tell you a quick story. Last night I was at a at a community fair with Courtney Miller and other residents. We went from the EPA table to the railroad table to the uh, CTEH, that's the contractor. We went to the EPA. They said, we're not testing furnace filters. The railroad is. We went to the railroad. They said, we're not testing furnace filters. CTEH is. So we did that round robin and we found out. There may be other people testing furnace filters, but we're going to get all these furnace filter results in over the next 15 to 30 days.
2: I appreciate the note of optimism, by the way, Scott. In order to correct a problem, you have to accurately diagnose it. But I hear you with that note of optimism that once it's accurately diagnosed, this village can be saved. This village can be cleaned. I heard that earlier in our conversation. I think that's an important note of optimism. This is is important information. Your independent analysis is appreciated. Thank you for sharing it here tonight on, on Tucker Carlson tonight.
0: His name is Will Kane, by the way. My apologies, Will Cain. Uh, and apparently Will Kane was born in the 1300s because he calls it a village. I mean, <laughs> what's with that? It's called a town, Will. They're called towns. We have towns and cities. We really don't have villages anymore. I mean, you know, just a small detail. But uh, yeah, I don't know. Those, those big city guys, apparently they think we all live in villages. <laughs> i don't, I don't know what that is, oh yikes, anyway, not, not good. What's going on there? Not good, but don't worry. School is still in session, I'm sure I'm sure the public school system there in East Palestine is running like a fine oiled machine. And uh, nobody's drinking any of the water, and it's bottled water constantly, as they are, of course, I'm sure, learning the best of all academics and everything that academia has to offer. I fully understand, too, that, you know, it's, it's probably part of the larger scheme to get rid of the people who live there and to have their homes fall into foreclosure and somebody comes in and buys up the entire property and, I don't know, um, but it it does not seem like a safe place to live, does it? I, I don't think so. I really don't think so. And again, as you heard him say, no one's on the same page. They're just all deflecting. All these government agencies are deflecting. Although, I again, I did hear the, the head of the EPA say, yeah, don't drink the water. I think the water is just a piece of the problem. Sounds like the air and everything else is a much larger, if not equal, problem. So there you go. Okay. If you need a another reminder to homeschool, allow me to introduce this to you. Sicily in New Mexico sent me this uh sent me this picture from this book and she described it and I want to read her description of it. She texted me this again and it's fantastic. I've now purchased a copy and will uh We'll give it a read when it shows up, and apparently it's a part of a series. You may be very well versed in this. My apologies for not being, but I love to learn, so this is this is a new thing for me, and I'm certainly going to dive into this one. It is a book titled Home Education by Charlotte M. Mason. And here is uh, Cicely's description, and immediately I was like, well, I'm buying this. She said, I think you would like this. I believe it was written in 1905. I didn't know when I bought it that there's a whole series of these books, apparently, and it's a lot different than I thought it would be. Uh, She said it's written more for mothers, but it's a lot of common sense. She talks about forming good habits, opening the windows during the day, the importance of daily bodily movement. It's very relevant, unquote. That's such a simple and apt description of, of the book. Having not read it myself that uh yeah i immediately I immediately purchased it, so it was about fifteen to seventeen bucks somewhere in there, and I'm going to give it a read. she's reading it, and i'm i'm again I trust her i i'm I'm certain it's fantastic, but uh that reminds me too. I woke up this morning and for some reason, this movie was in my head, and I want to describe this movie if you haven't seen it because. It was the ending of the movie that stuck out in my mind. In the early 90s, and this is, believe me, relevant to education and certainly homeschooling, but in the early 90s, there was a Harrison Ford movie by the title Regarding Henry. And I don't know if anybody's seen that movie. Uh, If you haven't seen it, I recommend it, but I'm going to ruin the movie right now for you. It's certainly the plot. But I still recommend watching it because it's it's excellent. Um, in summary, as briefly as I can, Henry is the guy's name. He's a wealthy individual. I don't know if he is a. Uh, I think he's a lawyer. If I'm not mistaken, could be a doctor. Not sure if memory serves. I I think he's a lawyer. Again, I saw this movie when I was when I was much younger, when it first came out. But Annette Benning is in it too, uh, a recognizable child actor from back in the day. Plays their daughter. Uh, point is, is that Henry ends up. Well, he he basically is this person who's sort of. Oh, I don't know. He's very well known, high up on the social ladder, so to speak. the The proverbial social ladder makes plenty of money. Goes to parties. People lick his boots. He does the same. He's not. He's not a good person. Uh, by, by all stretch ignores a lot of things that he shouldn't ignore, short with people when he shouldn't be, and and he's he's just not he's not kind all of the time. He finds himself in a convenience store and he ends up getting shot, if memory serves. Now I don't know if he's shot in the head or if he's shot somewhere else in the body. I I, I forget exactly, but he ends up suffering a head injury and he ends up becoming basically a completely different person. He becomes way more empathetic. He becomes way more sympathetic. He listens more. He sort of has to relearn a number of things. And he starts to examine who he used to be and how people used to view him and he doesn't like who he used to be. And so he changes the way he communicates with people and he ends bad relationships that he used to have or relationships he used to think were good. And he ends all of those, and he starts to focus on what really matters, which is his wife his his daughter, and uh, they have a little dog and and that's where he ends up putting most of his focus by the by the time the movie ends. I woke up this morning, though, and I couldn't help but think of the end of that movie; it was just stuck in my head for some reason because it was a perfect example of again metaphorically opening the window taking a big deep breath and then opening the doors and walking out of the public, private, and charter school system. And what he does at the end of the movie, and you can go and even watch the very end of the movie if you want, but he's he's clearly sending his daughter, they are sending their daughter to a very wealthy private school. It has a giant campus and a big church and all the girls are dressed the same. It's an all-girls school. And there's a headmaster at the at the front of the church. And you start hearing the headmaster talking to all of the children, again, all girls, and she's saying things like, well, I'm not going to play the clip, but she she's saying all the things that you would expect them to say. You know, I will work harder. And then she's having them all repeat that. That uh discipline is is important and you need to focus on your on your book studies and blah, blah, blah. I mean, she's having them just repeat this. The scripted line over and over again. And then the back doors open or the front doors open of the church and it's Henry and his wife and their, their puppy Beagle. And the Beagle walks right down the middle of the aisle and sniffs out uh, their daughter. And then she notices the dog and starts petting the dog. And then Henry Harrison Ford's character walks to the front of the room and apologizes to the headmaster and she knows who he is and knows that he's he's or at least has heard that he's becoming a different person and being a better person but he walks up and he apologizes to her for interrupting the lesson and then he says I'm here to get my daughter I've missed the first 11 years of her life and I don't want to miss any more And then she touches his hand and he turns around and gets his daughter and they all leave as a family. And that's the end of the movie. You see them walking away from that church and walking away from that school in the middle of the day or in the morning hours, whenever it is. And that's it. And you know that they're going to homeschool their daughter forever. You know that they are done with the system and all aspects of the system and all aspects of the matrix. And, uh, and, and that's it. And they're not returning. And again, you see the looks on the other children's faces briefly. And they're like, you know, I wish I could be that person. I I wish those were my parents. That's what they're all saying. Or certainly you, you get the, you get the feeling that they're all thinking that to themselves. But I just wanted to mention that because again, it's a very good movie, but you can't watch that movie in particular, the end in, in today's day and age and think to yourself that you know that that sending your children to these environments is the thing to do it isn't you have to free their mind they are the enemy these schools and these environments are the enemy i know that there's the occasional diamond in the rough i fully understand that and if that's the case then you know that's not what i'm talking about but time with your children is time you're not going to get back if it's lost with you handing your children to the enemy on a constant basis? Again, all the stories that I've brought up in the past in previous episodes, all the things that you know, all the things you've heard, why would you want to even run the risk of having your child exposed to something like eating bugs? Or Having a debate as to whether or not somebody should have their genitals cut off, uh, you know, not to mention the physical violence, I mean my God, the videos of physical violence that I see on the internet and ones that are emailed to me by listeners and all of it it's it's overwhelming it's overwhelming. Why would you want your children to be the victim of that either personally and physically, let alone see it so That's kind of my, that's my two cents. If you're interested in watching a movie this weekend, I highly recommend uh, regarding Henry. It's a good one and uh, it's impactful and you can't walk away from it again, not wanting to be a better person. And you can't really walk away from that movie saying to yourself, you know, do I need to be in that relationship or do I need to know that person anymore? Do I need to really have a conversation about this meaningless thing anymore? Do I need to send my children to an uh, to an american public private or charter school anymore or can i find another way and the relief that that fictitious family i'm sure felt is monumental but real families have felt that in the certainly in the last 3 plus years regarding their own children and their own families and as we all know when you wake up you don't go back to sleep it's impossible to go back to sleep and then you just want to help wake up other people. So there you go. That's my quick summary on that. Here's another book I recommend. I bought this just the other day. It showed up the other day, showed up in rather fast order, but I've wanted to buy one of Eric Dubay's books about Earth being flat uh, for quite some time, and he just came out with a brand new one, which I will highly recommend because I think that it really encompasses everything. It answers all of the questions that a person might have. Of course, you can watch his videos on his YouTube channel, but it's called Flat Earth FAQ, Frequently Asked Questions. It's an excellent book. Perfect dimensions, by the way. It almost holds in your hand like it's a children's book. And it's something, of course, that has numerous pictures in it. It has charts. It has memes. Uh, It has history lessons in it. It describes all of it. And it causes a person, again, to think about the world that we live on and inside of and how all of that operates. Again, it's real education. You're not going to find this book in a science class in a K-12 school, let alone at a university. Talk about the subjects and the departments that would close down if these people understood that they don't live on a spinning ball and that there's no way that they can prove that they live on a spinning ball. It's remarkable, but uh, it's kind of a pricier book. It's closer to $40, but again, it's over 170 some odd pages, Uh, full color pages, like I said, pictures, memes, all kinds of stuff. And it's, it's excellent. It's very, very well done. So I highly recommend that also. Flat Earth, Frequently Asked Questions. And again, the book that Cicely sent me was um, Home Education by Charlotte M. Mason. So give those a look and uh, investigate those if you are interested. Again, I highly recommend it. And again, I haven't read the Charlotte Mason one yet, but I will. And I trust Cicely, without a doubt. I trust her judgment on that. Okay, moving on. Let's see. Revisiting the last episode. Now we're into education here. Uh, revisiting the last episode. I forgot. <laughs> I forgot to mention this rather important detail of the old school board meeting in the town where I live. There was an individual who was in charge of grounds and maintenance, and the electricity and the plumbing. And they are that person. Okay. Most school districts, or certainly individual buildings, will have. That person who uh who who pays attention to all of the district' stuff regarding all of that, the cost of everything so on and so forth, this individual stood up in the last board meeting and told the board that they were of course paying attention to all of this and looking to where they can cut costs and look to where they can save money and so on and so forth. He openly admitted that they are inviting in an outside agency or an outside group to help them. Basically, do their job for them. Now, I'm not going to make fun of this process because I, I, I fully understand that there are people who hold particular positions and they don't know everything about the position, let alone how to save money when, when they're engaging in that position, whatever else. But they openly admitted that they're hiring an outside agency to come in to tell them, again, grounds crew, electricity, plumbing, et cetera, et cetera, what it is that they can do to save more money an eco-friendly, you know, quote-unquote group, something along those lines. Looking at it from the outside in, it's a blatant admission again that they don't know what they're doing. And that once this individual comes in, they're going to make some kind of an assessment. They're going to say, "Well, wow, you know, you're you're really wasting a lot of money over here or or, you know, they'll probably say something like, "Well, it seems like you're doing everything that you can." And uh, that's good enough. And I'm not sure where else you can cut costs and what else you can do. It's hard to know which way that's going to go. I'm leaning a little more toward they're going to be told where they're wasting money, just given the history of this school district. Uh, And I'm not saying it's a bad move that they're having this person in. It's just an open admission that the people who have always been in charge of this kind of thing and working for this district, and certainly countless other districts across the United States, that they might not have it all figured out. And now when it comes to saving money in its crunch time, now they're actually going to spend more money to hire a group to come in to tell them how they're wasting it, or if they're wasting it, or certainly how to save more of it. I, uh, yeah, it's a mind bender, but I don't know. I mean, that right there just seems to me like a move that a failing business would engage in. You know, we're bringing in people to uh, increase morale among the workers because the workers are suicidal and they don't want to work here anymore. That's usually an indication that the people running the business or the job itself is useless. I mean, that's that's kind of, I, I can't help but think of office space in the movie Office Space. Again, Lumberg walking around from cubicle to cubicle trying to remind everybody that their TPS reports do, and, uh, but don't worry, we're going to have birthday cake uh, at break time and then everybody can go back to their useless, mindless job. It's, it's the same kind of thing. you know. We're bringing in an outside group to basically cut costs and what they're going to find is, is that there's a lot of waste. I'm certain that that's probably the direction it's going to head in, but there you go. And I'm, I'm again, I'm also certain that they're not the only ones doing it. I'm sure countless school districts are doing this very thing because, again, they, they, they would rather keep a sports program in place than they would learn how to turn the lights on and off and make sure that, uh, you know, maybe you don't have to have the air conditioning on over the weekend, things like that. All right, moving on. Uh, Here's an interesting one, a little uh, role reversal, so to speak, and uh, this kind of blew up in their face. Of course, it's not making huge mainstream media news, although it is on the blaze. This came from Kit Carson International Academy in the Sacramento City Unified School District. Uh, I'm just going to play the audio on this one and give this a listen, and then I'll come in on the other end and make a few comments. Here we go.
4: New tonight, a dozen racist and offensive materials were found on a Sacramento City Unified campus this morning. An investigation revealed two students are responsible, and now the district is responding to concerned parents.
3: I got physically ill when I saw
0: the depiction.
4: Another racist incident on a Sacramento City Unified campus fake money printed out and distributed around Kit Carson International Academy, featuring derogatory images.
3: There was a uh, a portrait depicting uh, some uh, horrific um, uh, impression of what an African-American looks like. Uh, and there was language used as part of these inward bucks uh, that were very demeaning.
4: The district confirms with KCRA 3 two black middle school students are responsible for the act. They released a statement saying in part, quote, Sac City Unified strongly condemns the use of racist language or material and has taken swift disciplinary action against the two students involved. The district is also providing support for students and staff who may have experienced trauma or harm as a result. Mark T. Harris, Sac City Unified's Diversity, Equity and Inclusion Monitor hopes this can serve as a lesson to all students moving forward.
3: In this instance, we want both punishment, let me be clear, plus some level of comprehension, understanding why it was so bad to depict uh, people, people, any people in the manner they did.
4: Students are being connected to the Student Support Center, and in a letter to parents, the district says it plans to provide more education around the hateful history of racist words and is asking families to have those discussions with their children.
0: Now, I don't know about anybody else, but that seemed to me like it was a potential fake hate crime, so to speak. Like it was one of those things that was created and distributed throughout the student population in order to, oh, I don't know, potentially blame it on a white student. And yet they narrowed it down and, oops, it turned out to be a couple of black students that were actually doing it. Hmm, interesting. I think, uh, I think they have more, more counseling they need to do over there at the old Kip Academy. Just a hunch, just a hunch what a nightmare. (laughs) Again, it's like, uh, somebody spray painted LeBron James's garage door all over again. And, oh, look, a swastika happens to show up on the door of a synagogue. Who could have done it? Oops. It was the rabbi. It's things like this again, that just walk away. Honest, honestly, you know, if they can read and write, And you can at the very least teach your child to be a a vigilant, responsible human being, then they can teach themselves at home. They do not need to be in these environments where these kinds of things are happening. Where, again, I'm I'm calling it a fake hate crime. I know that's a bit redundant because hate crimes don't exist, but this this reeks of that. It reeks like something, or like someone rather was was almost being set up in the process. So, yeah, I don't know. I'm not there, thank God. Don't know anything about it beyond that particular, uh, that particular news report, but there you go. Uh, what, what's ironic, too, is this, and this is perfect timing because Sicily just sent this my way also, and this was just on the Gateway Pundit, and it's titled the following, The Perfect Case for Armed Security Guards in Schools. Now, they're basically just reiterating an article from 100% Fed Up, and it says the following, classroom lockdown kits, is what they're calling them, classroom lockdown kits are becoming an ever more present item for school districts to consider purchasing. These kits typically contain buckets to be used as toilets, toilet paper, waste bags, privacy tarps, wet wipes, duct tape, and gloves. If a school goes into lockdown for whatever reason, such as the presence of an active shooter, uh uh-oh, kids cannot go to the restroom. Lockdown kits are to help alleviate this added stress. That's right, because lifting the lid on a bucket and having Timmy or Sally take a dump in the bucket in the middle of the classroom because, you know, you can't go to the class you can't go to the bathroom during a lockdown that this is a safer way to uh make sure that everybody feels safe and is protected never mind the lifetime of ridicule that said student will experience as a result of going to the bathroom in a bucket in the middle of class you know right when you think everything is as dumb as it can possibly get society just surprises you doesn't it it just smacks you in the face with yet another perfect example that no 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 not so fast we can get dumber they continue of course and they talk about how expensive these kits are uh and these poop buckets and all of the things that are inside and then they continue to go into how They think that resource officers in schools are and will be and will continue to be a deterrent for violent behavior. Ladies and gentlemen, the jury is in. Resource officers in schools are as effective as the DARE program from the 1980s and 90s and early 2000s. It's an abysmal failure. If student A Wants to stomp on the skull of student B. A resource officer with a gun is not going to deter student A from stomping on the brains of student B. It just won't. It's been proven now, beyond a reasonable doubt, that resource officers in schools do not make the environment safer. They don't. We're talking about deep-seated civility problems. That, of course, stems from a wrecking of the American home. That's where it starts. Taking the mother out of the home to work full-time. Destroying the nuclear family, increasing the divorce rate. Individuals, again, not remaining married. And not planning pregnancies and building families and saying things like, how many children can we afford? Let's try to have as many children as we can. Let's homeschool them. Let's see if we can have one individual, one parent in the family work while the other stays home and raises the children and teaches the children and things of this nature. Nope. We, we've, we've completely reversed course, and now we are filling schools, public schools, with resource officers and poop buckets in case there's a school shooting. Now, I'm going to read through all of these uh, alleged reasons as to why they think that security guards and school resource officers uh, improve schools somehow. But I don't know if anybody saw this particular video. I know I put it on Gab, and uh, I put it in one of the war videos, but I don't think I described it on the show. It is a school teacher in their classroom showing what has been constructed by some company, and it is a lockdown room, or whatever they call it. Honest to God, you can't make this up. Imagine a 90-degree angle In the corner of a classroom. And the female teacher walks up and she grabs a handle. And it is two doors. Well, I I should say two metal walls that extend out from the corner to basically make a box. And then there's a door on one of the on one of the metal walls, one of the two metal walls, where students can then enter. Once in a locked position, once you pull it straight out, it locks itself into a, a particular position, in, in, into a box, basically, or a rectangle. The two walls are bulletproof. So it's a lockdown room inside of your classroom in case of a quote unquote school shooting. I'm telling you what. The, the brainwashing is in full effect when you think that that's normal. When someone thinks that that's normal or even necessary, you've lost the plot. And I fully understand again that someone would say, Well, Sean, there was a school shooting the other day in Arlington, Texas, and school shootings happen more frequently than you could possibly imagine. And what about Uvalde, Texas, if they only had one of these? I'm telling you my my blood pressure's already up and I haven't even gotten to the research articles yet. Uh <laughs> and I'm and I'm going to and it's going to it's that's going to drive me up the wall. First of all, there was a school shooting the other day in uh in Arlington, Texas. The problem is is the details matter. It was a drive-by. It didn't actually happen inside of the school. The individual was engaging in a drive-by by the school, shot toward the students, killed one, wounded another, and then they arrested the person who did it. Now, they're not releasing the name. I'm sure we can take a guess as to who or, you know, what kind of person this was. The point is, is that details matter and scaring the public and normalizing insanity is and has always been the state of affairs with american k12 schools curriculum aside that's bad enough altering history science etc etc all of that's all of that's bad enough but militarizing the entire environment is nuts and we have sandy hook to thank for a lot of this of course resource officers were already in place before Sandy Hook, but Sandy Hook was sort of the nail in the coffin, the fictitious nail in the fictitious coffin that is Sandy Hook. And uh and and that's where it rolled out big time. So here's the giant list that they've created as to why they think and it's 10 bullet points as to why they think that having security guards at schools uh is is necessary and this is their rationale. It says the following number 1. I'm just going to read through them. I'm not even going to read the descriptions because they're absurd. And again, they immediately reference Sandy Hook at the beginning. Honest to God, honest to God, if there was only a resource officer at Sandy Hook, that wouldn't have happened. Uh, nobody died at Sandy Hook. And if you don't know that yet, well, go down that rabbit hole on Bitchute or Rumble because you can't do it on YouTube. They've wiped them all out. They've wiped out all those videos. Because they want to censor the truth, and that's how that works. Okay, sorry. I digress. Bullet point number one reduced incidents of violence, they say. No. <laughs> uh, the answer is no. In the school where I used to work, we always had resource officers, didn't reduce a lick of violence, not a lick. As soon as you see a resource officer meat hook a student out of a cafeteria after beating his face into the ground, Ladies and gentlemen, the resource officers aren't solving anything. Uh, Number two, reduced bullying and fighting. Nope. Failure again. Number three, increased vigilance and observation of school children. No. As I said earlier, if student A wants to hurt student B, they're going to do it regardless of who's in the building. Number four, more informed parents. On what? Number five, instant help for distressed school children. Not exactly. And you've heard me mention this before. If if you taught in the old high school where I used to teach, many of the resources were too busy hitting on the secretaries and the younger female teachers. So, you know, if they're busy doing that or they're on their lunch break, well, you can't get a hold of them in an emergency. Well, I, I can't get a hold of them. There were a couple of times I called the main office, I said, "Where's the resource officer?" They called me back and they were like, "Yeah, we don't know where they, we don't know where he is. I said I could take a guess, Of course, they didn't like that, but you know i knew, I knew where he was. He was on his break or he was hitting on somebody. Um yeah, there you go, so number five's out the window, number six, a security boost with assistance from teachers. no. <laughs> no. It's just another person. It's just another bag of bones inside of a school building. They may have a gun and a nightstick and handcuffs. That's great. But uh, them being there is so standard procedure now that it makes no difference whatsoever. It's as common as school children wearing clothes in school. It, uh, you know, it, it makes no difference anymore. Number seven, guidance for parents and strangers. Honest to God, I'll tell you something. Some of the worst instruction I've ever seen when it comes to security comes at the hands of resource officers. It really does. They're not all trained public speakers. They're not all trained uh, classroom teachers. In many cases, they have no idea what they're saying. I'm, I'm not saying that they haven't saved a life. I'm not saying that positive things haven't happened. They certainly have. It's mathematically impossible they wouldn't. But uh this list is lackluster to say the least. Number eight, security checks on strangers and school children. Sorry. Resource officer can't be everywhere at once, and that's always their excuse. Well, I can't be everywhere at once. I you know, i, I wouldn't have been the person to open that door for that complete stranger, but another employee did, and that's not my problem as a resource officer. It, it it does not it doesn't matter. You've heard me say this about guns. It doesn't matter how many guns they put in a school building, that's not going to stop a shooting if one were to actually take place, which is beyond rare. Arming arming, Arming teachers isn't the solution. This is way more embedded than that. And trust me, I love guns. And I love them in the hands of people who know how to use them, and everybody should carry one with one in the pipe. You've heard me say that before. But Having having armed school teachers is uh, is not a good idea because it's the Barney Fife's inside of the school building that are going to want them first, and that's not going to be good. Number nine, help for school children. I got to read this one because this is too obscure. It says, "With armed school security guards around, students will have them to call on for help during distress situations." Well, again unless they're on their lunch break or hitting on somebody, or, you know, just not paying attention. Also, if a school child notices a dangerous weapon in another student's bag, he or she can quickly alert the security guards. Honestly, 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 this is nuts. Number 10, effective in professional handling of security devices. Uh, Weak, just weak. I mean the jury is in here. Okay, we're down to bulletproof walls in classrooms that can be extended out like a transformer and then you can rush all your all your students into that into that room and lock it from the inside and you'll be safe. And we have poop buckets. So in case, you know, somebody needs to go number 1 or number 2, everybody turn your back while Johnny goes number 2 or Sally goes number number 1 and uh, you know, their lives won't be ruined forever. <laughs> I mean honestly, who thinks any of this is normal? Crazy people. Ladies and gentlemen, it's crazy town. It's crazy town in American K-12 schools. I don't know what else to say. I really don't. I don't know what else I can I can say to summarize all of it. It's just insane. So, since we're on the crazy train, let's continue right into the American Education Research Association's latest publication, which will be coming out in April. Uh, yikes. Okay. First of all, their annual meeting is coming up in the middle of April. What a nightmare. Are you wondering where it's taking place? I'll give you one guess. The safest city in America. That's right, Chicago. And what is the title of this exquisite meeting in the most dangerous place in America? It's not an exquisite meeting. I, I know I'm laying in on thick. My apologies. Uh, the title of their annual meeting is the following, Interrogating Consequential Education Research in Pursuit of Truth. Uh, I'm already having a hard time breathing. It's already happening. I can feel the arteries clogging right now. They're starting to constrict. Not good. Okay. Here we go. This is again from the American Educational Research Journal, and this is going to be their uh, volume sixty, issue two, April twenty twenty three. These are the articles within. I, I again, deep breath. I I don't want to read the abstracts, but you know I'm going to have to. The first article is titled the following: Linguistic Registers and citizenship education, divergent approaches to content instruction, Kichwa use, and state relationships in Ecuador's intercultural bilingual education. Ask yourself one question What does this have to do with anything regarding American educational research? Honest, Honestly. Uh, I, I'm not going to read the abstract of that. Not even going to bother. Not even going to bother. As you've heard me say, if they're not talking about violence, curriculum, and the lies in curriculum, the manipulation of the mind that the entire education apparatus has existed, uh, or has certainly participated in rather, for copious amounts of years, let alone the last three, jabs and mask wearing and how all of that was a giant lie and everybody was lied to. If they're not talking about those things, ladies and gentlemen, they're not talking about what they need to be talking about. They're not researching the thing that is contributing and going to contribute to the complete and utter destruction of american k12 and university education the next topic and the next research paper that again was published twice it was published <laughs> it was accepted for research published in, in in this journal and god help us all okay the next one is this i'm i'm sorry this is this drives me up the wall It is titled, Unpacking the Relationship Between Classroom Teacher Characteristics and Time to English Learner Reclassification. Not even sure what this means, but let's give the abstract a try, shall we? It says the following. Reclassification is a crucial outcome for English learners, EL students, academic progress, Though ELs spend a large portion of their academic time with general education teachers, we know little about the role general education teachers play in developing ELs' English language proficiency. Yikes. Drawing from a longitudinal administrative data set from Tennessee, this study uses discrete-time survival analysis to estimate the relationship between ELs' likelihood of reclassification and characteristics of their General Education English Language Arts teachers in grades 3 through 8. The study finds that several measures of teacher effectiveness consistently predict EL reclassification. Sensitivity and robustness checks substantiate these relationships findings have important policy implications for the identification and assignment of ELs to effective general education ELA teachers, Okay, I think I get it. First of all, this isn't new. It's not a new revelation that teachers in the classroom would have a role on the level of English being spoken or even written among their students, including those learning English for the first time. That's not uh, that's not unusual, of course. The parents play an even larger role. We know that teachers, of course, play a big role too, but regarding the classification of whether or not they're reclassified as being an English language learner, that doesn't solely fall on the shoulders of the school teacher. And again they're saying well teacher effectiveness and how good the teacher is determines as to whether or not they're reclassified. Well look if if they can't speak English and they can't write English uh they're not going to be unclassified from that particular identifying measure. In fact schools always want to keep them as English language learners. And they want to keep that paperwork in place because the school gets more money. And if they're taken off of that well then therein lies part of the problem so it doesn't sound like they're necessarily measuring the thing that needs to be needs to be measured really which is corruption that plays a big role in it too as long as the teacher in the front of the room is speaking english fluently and and knows exactly what they're saying and what they're doing if you're around it as an english language learner you're you're going to be more tuned to uh to the to the language that's being spoken but if the person at the front of the room doesn't speak English correctly, well, you're going to have a problem. But yeah, you've heard me talk about the paperwork stuff before. They keep that paperwork in place because they want the child to be shackled to that paperwork because the school gets more money as a result. So there you go. Here's the next one. Time for the race card to be played. Are you ready? Here it comes. Uh, Quote. Are we moving the needle on racial disproportionality? Measurement challenges in evaluating school discipline reform. Here we go. Time to read this abstract. Here it comes. Quote, Challenges in the measurement of racial disparities in school discipline are a significant barrier to identifying policy and programmatic reforms that are effective at closing gaps. This article reviews key measurement issues and presents a set of empirical analyses as an illustrative case study. Specifically, we reframe the interpretation of discipline data in light of initiatives designed to reduce racial discipline disparities. We also characterize common metrics and recognize several additional ones for use in Discipline Disproportionality Outcome Evaluations. Leveraging a statewide policy reform as an example, we report findings from a quasi-experimental evaluation which demonstrated that the various metrics can point to differing conclusions. We conclude with proposed guiding principles for the selection and use of discipline pro- disproportionality metrics in evaluations. Unquote. Translation. They're basically saying that because black and minority students are being disciplined more often, we need to change the metric system in which we are using or the measurement stick that we are using to discipline students. Whether that be all students or just students of a particular race that they believe are being disciplined more than other races. Because, ladies and gentlemen, racism isn't really real, but if you want to find a bigot, this right here is where you find it. Because this individual, again, is basically saying that the measuring stick that they're using to decide what is discipline and what is not is disproportionately being measured up against minority students as opposed to say white and asian students this is an old yarn that has been drawn out decade after decade it's a it's basic math and that's the problem with these with these individuals it's just math if you have 80% black students in a school it was a case study which means it took place in a very specified environment if you have 80% minority students regardless of race we'll just well, we'll it, for the sake of argument because we can assume it leans this way we'll say 80% black students if they have 80% black students and they have discipline and rule breaking and fighting taking place it is mathematically probable in fact very very likely that the majority of the individuals engaging in such fights are going to exist in the majority you see it's an abstract like this in an article like this that really highlights the individuals biases on this particular subject they, they do not for a minute want to examine anything else that contributes to discipline being needing to be used within a, within a K-12 environment. They actually believe that it is skin color, and that if more, say again, just for the sake of argument, if more blacks are being disciplined in the school, then the measuring stick is wrong, the measurement is wrong, and the people implementing it are wrong. Chances are, they're right. And it just so happens that minority students, again, i.e. Black, Hispanic, maybe even Asian, whatever, that they're the ones actually engaging in the majority of the physical or interpersonal violence. They never want to be objective about it. They always want to blame something else. They always want to blame the measurement or teacher effectiveness or the, the the teacher's, uh, you know, I don't know, hidden bigoted behavior that has never been assessed or evaluated by a psychiatrist. I mean, it's always that. It's never the perpetrator. It's never the individual, where they come from, where they learned it, the society we live in, the manipulation of these individuals to behave the way that they do, again, regardless of race. Uh yeah. It's it's a complete absence of really teaching the facts that is the problem. So we have to blame a thousand other things other than the actual behavior itself. It's pathetic. Absolutely pathetic. Okay. Here's the next one. So to answer the question, are we moving rather the needle on racial disproportionality? Uh no. No. And it has nothing to do with needing reform as far as paperwork is concerned. It just has to do with a lack of civility, a lack of a two-parent home, you know, learning these kinds of things, what to do in society, how to be an adult, things of that nature. The next one is titled, The Safest Bet, Identifying and Assessing Risk in Faculty Selection. Uh Uh-oh. I can tell you what the outcome of this is going to be right now. The outcome of this, if it were objective, which it probably isn't, is basically you'd better agree with everybody who's hiring you because if you don't, you're not going to get hired. You'd better be a left-wing lunatic who uh, supports cutting genitals off, dyeing your hair, and uh, you'd better be of the gay persuasion because if you're none of those things, or at least at the very least two of those things, you're not going to get hired. Again, if they were being objective, that would be the conclusion they would arrive at. But let's read the abstract. It says, quote, Efforts to mitigate bias in faculty hiring processes are well documented in the literature, yet significant barriers to the hiring of racially minoritized and white women in many STEM fields remain. An underreported barrier to inclusive hiring is assessment of risk. Guided by theory, from behavioral economics, social psychology, and decision-making, we examine the inner workings of five faculty search committees to understand how committee members identified and assessed risk with particular attention to assessments of risk that became intermingled with social biases. Committees identified and assessed five risks, including candidate interest, candidate disciplinary expertise, candidate competence, candidate, candidate collegiality, and the timing and oversight of the search process itself. We discuss implications of risk identification and assessment for effective and inclusive searches. Ladies and gentlemen, they tell you exactly how they're leaning with the words they're using. When they say inclusive in the last sentence, and in the second sentence, they say racially minoritized and white women, who are they leaving out? If you said white men, white straight men, you would be correct. They're telling you This is who they don't want. This study has got to arrive at that conclusion. They're not going to say that, but that's what they're saying because they actually believe that white straight men run the business of higher education. Where have they been for the last 20 plus years? That's not the case. It's dominated by women, it's dominated by gays. Everybody knows this. But see, they're not going to quit. They're going to continue to think and operate under the false guise of white men are still in charge of all of it, and we won't rest until they're all dead, until we root them out of every Marxist institution that we work for. That's their goal, and that's exactly what this abstract is telling me. They want them gone. We're all the victims, in particular white women. It's, God, is it disgusting. It's so disgusting. Okay, here's the next one. The aftermath of disproportionality citations. Now they're going after citations. And apparently, disproportionality is the word of the day. It says, I'm sorry, (laughs) the whole quote or the whole title for this one is The Aftermath of Disproportionality Citations. Situating Disability-Race Intersections in Historical, Spatial, and Sociocultural Contexts. What does this have to do with anything? I've got to read this abstract, and trust me, after this abstract, there's only one more. And then I'm going to wrap this up, because this is getting nauseating. The abstract says the following, quote, We used a situated approach to examine the aftermath of citations for racial disparities in special education and discipline. The study was conducted in one suburban school district and examined staff's interpretations and responses to multiple disproportionality citations. We found that historical, spatial, and sociocultural contexts mediated stakeholders' interpretations and reactions to citations and the consequences of their responses. Our findings demonstrate how a history of race relations in the district and the community, as well as spatial opportunity structures, shaped disability and discipline racial disparities. The consequences of a damaged imagery for multiple marginalized youth And their families in explanations of disproportionality citations and the shortcomings of the district's symbolic and predominantly color evasive responses as a consequence of ambiguous federal and state policy mandates. I think I had a stroke in the middle of all of that. Again, it's much like the other article. They're basically saying, when they say citations, they're saying, when you're making references to people who are being disciplined or the things that you're using, are they happen- happening to fall on more black students than white students? When you're disciplining students, are you thinking of a black child as opposed to a white child? When you're yelling at the class, are you thinking of a black student as opposed to a white student? Are you throwing the measuring stick at black students more than white students? Again, they're openly saying that they believe that the district's symbolic and predominantly color evasive responses are a consequence of state and federal policy regarding discipline. And that's racist and bigoted because it happens to fall right in the lap of minority students. It's disgusting. There's no personal responsibility. None. It's everybody else's fault. It's the white man's fault every single time. It's exhausting. Here's the last one. Thank God. And then many months will pass before I have to do this again. The last article that's going to be published in the most recent AERA journal, because, ladies and gentlemen, this is the tip of the spear when it comes to American education. Quote, do black and white students benefit from racial socialization? School racial socialization, school climate, and youth academic performance during early adolescence. Here's the abstract. Here it comes. Quote, with racial inequalities, rather, plaguing the United States school system, well, right out of the gate, They tell you racism is the problem. Educators have recognized the importance of establishing inclusive, equitable, and diverse school environments where students from different ethnic racial backgrounds can feel respected and supported. This study examined the longitudinal links between adolescents' experiences of school racial socialization, school climate perceptions, and academic performance, and tested whether these links varied by race. They used a total of 941 students, with 54% being boys, 63% being black, and 37% being white. Results revealed that adolescents' experience of school racial socialization practices, i.e. cultural socialization and promotion of cultural competence, predicted positive changes in their perceptions of school climate and, in turn, promoted better academic performance. School racial socialization was linked to positive school experiences and achievement for both black and white adolescents. Unquote. First of all, this is one that I would like to read the whole thing of. In particular, the conclusion, uh, the conclusion section, and figure out what they actually concluded. Here's what I can conclude from the abstract: They did this within one building, or certainly among. 941 individuals either through a survey, and they maybe even went backwards in time and simply said, Okay, what kind of a school did you go to? Was it multiracial? Most of them would say yes, because most schools are. And then, and then what? They probably just asked them the basic question w- Was having multiple races within your building, has that made you, uh, i don't know have have more positive experiences or did you have a more positive school experience as a result and achieve more because that was the case i i don't know if that if that can be accurately measured because as we know there really are no schools that are that that only exist with white students in them. We know for a fact that there are schools that exist that only have black students in them. In particular at the college level is is what I'm referencing. I mean there are black only colleges. There are no white only colleges. So yeah. I mean I understand this is early adolescence so we're talking about middle school high school. But uh I I again th- this isn't new this isn't really a new thing there is always a correlation between socioeconomic status the different races that exist within a building the different behaviors that exist within a building and then school climate and academic performance but they're making a direct correlation and saying that yes because the the building was of mixed race with multiple races in it based on these individuals' perceptions, that that promoted better academic performance and better school climate. Okay, fine. If that was their conclusion, and that conclusion is objective, great. Uh, This is the the problem with abstracts, is that I I would want to read the whole thing. I would just want to read the whole thing, and I would want more specifics as to how they determined what they determined. So... As fun as it is to read the abstracts, you can't, uh, you, you can't believe them all at face value. Some of them are insane, but then, of course, some of them require a little more investigation. And in my opinion, that one, that one certainly does. All right. Anyway, that's that for the reading of the American Education Research Association journal titles. And all that got published. Weird. Jab news. One quick story. This is the second spring breaker to die in uh, Mexico, probably as a result of the jabs. This is from Ohio State University. Student mi- mysteriously dies in Mexico during spring break. Henry Meacock mysteriously died in Mexico a few days into spring break. And a spokesperson from the university says that The Ohio State community has suffered a tragic loss, and we extend our deepest condolences to the families and friends of Henry Meacock. Our hearts go out to his family during this exceptionally difficult time. Was he jabbed? Probably. In fact, if I'm not mistaken, OSU required at the very least two shots to attend, if not three. So, you know, way to go, Ohio State. You just killed another one. Honest to God, these institutions are responsible for the murder of copious amounts of people. Here's the question I have from a legal standpoint. If a person kills someone and they don't know that they're killing them, can they still stand trial for murder? Again, take the university setting. They were told that the shots worked, that they prevented COVID, quote unquote. This is what they were told. They just blindly went along with it and did it, not knowing, of course, probably not knowing, that the entire program was a depopulation program designed to wipe everybody out. If they didn't know that and they still went through with it, can they? be charged with murder I mean if you hand someone who is mentally handicapped a knife and say go over there and stab that person and they go okay that'll be fun and they don't think for a minute that doing that's going to kill the person can that person stand trial or will they be called uh you know unfit for trial due to insanity I mean that pretty much I think encompasses the state of affairs in higher education at this point, does it not? Among countless other avenues? Good Lord. Just another one. How many condolence letters, by the way, too, have these universities written uh, throughout the last two years? Again, that story would indicate that, well, they've only done it maybe once, maybe twice. I bet they've done it. I bet they do it every week. They have to. Okay. Wrapping up, I came across this article. That's all the jab-related news I have. My apologies, but uh, th- that's that's about it. Pretty much, pretty much the standard stuff. A lot of died suddenly. A lot of a uh, lot of athletes still still dropping. Thirty-five-year-old athlete I saw the other day, a rowing champion, something like that. He died. You know, science, ladies and gentlemen, it's science. Uh, I came across this article. I gave it a read. Uh, I liked it, and I wanted to read it here. I'm going to mispronounce some names. My apologies. That's sort of par for the course for me, as you all know. But uh, this has to do with how we are certainly in a world revolution. And there is a world revolution taking place. This comes from, uh, let me see, Benjamin... Fulford.net, written by Benjamin Fulford on March 20th. It is titled, First Ever World Revolution About to Liberate Humanity. Quote What is happening now has never happened before in human history. We are witnessing the first ever world revolution. The riots in France, the U.S. military disobedience of fake President Joe Biden, the unification of the Muslim people, the collapse of the Credit Suisse, and many more events around the world are all interconnected signs of this. It is all part of the overthrow of a hidden ruling class that has presided over the planet for thousands, if not tens of thousands of years, and final result, or it says the final result, will be both mind-boggling and liberating for humanity and earth life in general. One quick edit to that. It's come to my attention through reading and paying attention to copious amounts of other individuals that earth is not tens of thousands of years old. In fact, based on math, not making this up, in 2024, Earth will be approximately 6,000 years old. And that's it. So when you hear these dummy climate change people like John Kerry say, 800,000 years ago, a man was not walking on the Earth. Give me more money for the climate hoax. When he's saying things like that and spitting out those numbers, he needs to be hit in the head with a tack hammer because he's a moron. Earth is approximately 6,000 years old as of next year. Makes perfect sense, doesn't it? It's biblical, ladies and gentlemen. Biblical. It continues here. Quote, Before we go look at all the events unfolding, though, let us try to grasp the big picture. My former professor, no way I get that name, who was Afghanistan's ambassador to Japan before the Russians invaded his country, said the best way to understand international relations is to think of countries as individual people. So with that in mind, here is the big picture. An African, a Chinese, a European, an Indian, and a Kazarian find themselves stranded on a deserted island. The Kazarian says to the African, quote, you go and collect food, firewood, and other resources. To the Chinese, he says, you make tools and build shelter and future, and furniture for us, rather. To the Indian, he says, You cook and clean and take care of the various chores. To the European, he says, uh, You beat up the African, the Chinese, and the Indian if they disobey. To all of them, he says, quote, Once you have finished your tasks, go collect seashells and shiny rocks for me. Then he says to the group, After you have prepared everything, I will take the best food and the most comfortable furniture and give you what is left over. Then one night, while the Kazarian is asleep, the other individuals get together and say, The Kazarian does not do anything, so why should we work for him? To the European, the others say, He keeps you drugged and poisoned so that you obey him. If you work with us, we will help you detox, give you his seashell collection, and make sure you get a bigger share of the food. So the next morning, the others tell the Khazarians he will have to work if he wants to keep eating and sharing the island with the others. When he tells the European to go beat up the others, he is rebuffed. He then threatens to poison everybody, blow up the island, etc. But it is a bluff, and basically, he is going to have to either work or get thrown to the sharks. That is in essence what is happening in the world now. In the Middle East, for example, the various countries of a region, including Egypt, Turkey, Iran, and Saudi Arabia, have decided to stop handing over their oil to the Khazarian Mafia in exchange for numbers on bank computers. That is why fake President Joe Biden has been forced to drain the strategic oil reserve. No wonder Ibrahim, former spokesman for Muammar Gaddafi, quote, What is happening between Saudi Arabia and Iran under Chinese control is not a small thing. It is a change of international power. The same is happening with China and other Asian countries who are now demanding payment in real things like gold and physical products from the United States and other Western countries. In Africa, a large group of countries has asked for Russian help to stop the French Rothschilds, etc. from stealing their resources. This alliance between the Global South, the Global East, and Western White Hats is leading to an implosion Of the Western financial system and regime change in a variety of countries. It wraps up and it says the collapse of Credit Suisse is a reflection of this. Notice how none of the so called mainstream news articles about Credit Suisse talk about the real reason why it is collapsing and why takeover by USB and a Swiss government bailout will fail. Let there be no doubt, it will fail and bring down with it the Federal Reserve Board, the BIS, the IMF, the World Bank, the UN, etc. His lips to God's ears, 100%. And I have to tell you, I believe it with every every piece of my body. We're watching the enemy again consistently threaten us with their 15-minute cities and their, their digital credit scores and all of this. They are moving quicker than they wanted to because they're being forced to. And if you think about it, ladies and gentlemen, everybody likes sound money. Everybody likes it. We've all been playing with this monopoly money for far too long. And individual countries, by the way, want to remain individual countries. In fact, there's a rather important human being from history who once said that, and he was forced into World War II, and then his country was looted and taken over. I think you know who I'm referring to. The, the point is, is that individual countries want to remain individual countries with real sound money that is their own, based on their own resources, too, and they don't want to be looted. Who could blame them? Seems like a pretty easy mind to convince when you're trying to engage in a worldwide revolution, which is exactly, again, what is happening. So again, that comes from BenjaminFullFord.net, if you're interested in bouncing over there and reading that, along with other weekly reports, and there you go. Ladies and gentlemen, hope you enjoyed it, hope you learned something, and I will catch you on Friday